Good morning, third family. Uh, happy Epiphany. We're now in this uh, season that we, the church, the historic church calls Epiphany. Pull out this um, funky little calendar we have here that we use at third um, for our change of seasons. You know, one of the, just one of, we, one of the ways that we just try to be a little different. We know that Jesus calls us to be in the world and not of the world. And one just really small, simple way we do that is just by keeping our time and our calendars a little bit differently. Um, and so we order our lives around the person of Jesus. We order our years around Jesus. So we began our year in Advent when we were anticipating Jesus. Uh, and then we moved to Christmas where we're celebrating Jesus's birth. Uh, and now we're in Epiphany, which celebrates the ministry of Jesus. So throughout the Epiphany, we focus on the life of Jesus, the ministry, the miracles, the teaching, the healings of Jesus, seeing the way that Jesus is breaking the kingdom of God out into the world by looking at his life and what he does. And the kingdom of God is coming in all of its variegated, colorful glory. So that's why we've changed the banners over to all these colorful designs. You can read a meditation on that in the bulletin on page two that Mark Sprinkle wrote, which is really beautiful. All this is leading up to Lent in which we celebrate the sufferings of Jesus and then ultimately Easter, his resurrection. And so this is the, this is the story that we order our lives around, the story of Jesus. Uh, if you've been with us at all uh, since early December, we've been in a sermon series. We're called Waiting for the King, in which we've been in the book of Matthew, um, learning about what it means to wait for Jesus. And we're finishing that series today by looking at this lovely um, ending of the introduction to Matthew, which is the baptism of Jesus. So if you'll turn with me to the scripture on page eight, or in your Bible, let's listen as we hear God's word. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, no, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now, for it's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, the one I love. With him, I am well pleased. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. If you've been around here for a while, you probably have picked up on the fact that I am a big fan of the late um, Dutch priest and uh, spiritual writer, uh, Henry Nouwen. I love Henry Nouwen because he is incredibly honest and authentic about the human experience and his own struggles within that human experience. And there's one particular talk that Nouwen used to give a lot and that I've listened to many times. And in this talk, if actually you can see him do this on YouTube, um, if he's standing in front of an audience, he'll, he'll pull out an easel or a, or a, a whiteboard and he'll just, uh, he'll draw a, a line, just a simple line with two dots at the end. And he'll say, this is your life. This is my life. It's a little set of, of years, a very limited set of days, our chronologies that has an end point and a beginning point. So for me, you know, that, that line began in 1977. For me, it'll end, I don't know, let's say 2055. Sounds like a good, okay life, you know? And you might say, oh, you poor sap, you know, I was born in 2000. I mean, I've got all these years. Or you might say, oh, you're so young. I've only got a few years left, but it doesn't really matter. 
because we all just have this short little dash, tiny little, tiny little line in the big scheme of history. And what now instead is that we all sort of are plagued with this one defining question that we all ask and wrestle with all of our lives, and that's just this simple question, who am I? Who am I? What, what is, what's my life about? That's the question that often drives us. Whether you know it or not, that's a question that drives and pervades your life. And what Nouwen says, which is very, I think still rings true today, even though he first said it many decades ago, is that if you're, at least if you live in the West, if you live in the post-enlightenment Western civilization, we tend to answer that question in one of three ways. That first of all, I am what I do. I am my job, I am my accomplishments, I am my achievements, I am my successes, I am the legacy that I create for myself, I am what I do. He also says we tend to answer that question by saying I am what I have. You know, I am my health, uh, my fitness, I am my beauty, I am uh, my, uh, my net worth, um, I am my nationality or my vocation or my particular family, I am what I have. And then last one, he says we tend to Actually, probably which is the most powerful one is I am what what others think of me. This is very powerful for us in defining our sense of self. And I know it is for me. I mean, um, I have a really weird like public job in which so much of my job performance is actually done in front of hundreds of people. And so I get feedback all the time. And so, you know, I have 10, 20, 50 people say to me like, you are doing such a great job. You're such a great leader. That was so well. And then I'll have like one or two people say that sucked. And like, that was lousy, and I don't think you're doing a good job at all. And guess what? I will remember that one voice. That's the one I carry with me. It cuts to the heart. There's something about that that is deeply hurtful to our humanity. And so what now it says is what ends up happening when we are defined by these three things, the way that we define our sense of self, um, our life just ends up becoming like this, this zigzag where there are certain times where it's up because we're doing really well and our, the numbers are up and the successes are going well and people are speaking well of us. Things that we define our purpose by are secure, but then we kind of fall because the numbers go down and we're not getting the applause, the attention that we need and we're getting cut to the heart and our children are not being the children that we dreamed and hoped that they would be or something that really we cared about deeply like our health is beginning to fade and we can't do and contribute the way that we once were able to contribute and we begin to plummet. And, and we end up having this sort of zigzag life. You kind of feel like the Gumby man on the used car lot, you know? It's like, you know, flapping up and down. And, and really, like, for many of us, life has just, like, become survival. Where we're just desperately, like, staying above the line. Hold, holding on to anything that I can hold on to. And this especially happens as we age. I've seen this as some of my good friends who are aging and losing their health, losing their capacities, losing their vocations. We just kind of want to hold on, point to this is what I did. This is what I was. This is what I have been. And then we die. Every one of us hits the end point and we die. And then what? Guess what? You can't do anything anymore. You can't have anything anymore. And eventually, people stop even remembering your name. That there's the end of your little life. Good way to start the new year, right? <laughs> yeah. So what, what do we say about that? Well, here's what I say about that. Who wants to live that way? I mean, is that really what life is about? Who wants to live that way? And yet, this is the way that so many of us live. 
This is the way that so many of your neighbors live. This is the way so many of your relatives and your colleagues at work live. But this is not the way we have to live. There's an escape. There's a way out of the zigzag life. And what Nowen said, and what I believe, is that the secret is in this passage. That if you can really understand the truth of what is being offered to you in this passage, that if you can really understand the gift that Jesus wants to give you, you can be free. You can get off the zigzag. You can stop being the Gumby man. You can know who you are, and you can have a name that endures to eternity. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? That's what's being offered here. So I, I want to I explore that with you this morning just in two simple ways. First, let me just say this. This is my thesis this morning. If you like to write things down, you might write this down. <laughs> knowing who you are begins with knowing Jesus. Because only then will you know who you are in him. Knowing who you are begins with knowing Jesus because only then will you know who you are in him. So I just want to look at two simple things. Knowing Jesus, knowing yourself in him. Knowing Jesus, knowing yourself in him. Okay, so first, let's look at this. Knowing the beloved, Jesus' identity. That's really what this passage is about. So let's get into it. The context here is John the Baptist. If you were here last week to hear Aaron Rose's wonderful sermons, he preached about John the Baptist and how he was preparing the way for the Messiah Jesus to come. And he said, this guy's going to be crazy powerful. He's going to baptize you with, I'm trying to talk like John the Baptist here. Talk, he's going to burn you up with fire and the Holy Spirit and wipe away the chaff, clear the decks, watch out, he says. <laughs> so then Jesus shows up. And he's nothing like that at all. I mean, verse 13, you can feel the surprise. He's like this ordinary dude who just walks right into the waters just like everybody else. And John is clearly, this is a very awkward moment for John the Baptist. <laughs> he said, this guy has come to be the baptizer and now he's coming to be baptized. He's come to rain down judgment and fire. And now he's going into the waters of repentance. What's going on? I mean, this would be like me telling you guys, hey guys, there's going to be an amazing preacher who's going to come, a famous preacher who's going to come in just a few weeks. He's going to be amazing. He's going to blow your socks off. He's going to be the most amazing message you ever heard. And then the day comes and I introduce the preacher and instead of coming up into the pulpit, he just goes and sits down in the pew. Says, I'd like to listen today. That's basically what's happening here. And John is so confused. Why is Jesus being baptized? He doesn't need to repent. He doesn't have sin to be cleansed of. What's going on here? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. It is a declaration of Jesus's identity. We see that in a few ways. First of all, by what Jesus says. What does he say in verse 15? He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. John has been saying that people need to repent and live lives of righteousness, which means turning away from a self-centered life and turning towards a God-centered life. That's what living a life of righteousness means. It means consecrating and submitting yourself wholly to the will of God. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, you know, I'm right now at 33 years old in the brink of my public ministry, taking the step to declare to everyone that this is why I'm alive, to do the will of God, my Father. That's why I'm here. I'm surrendering consecrating myself, publicly declaring that I want to do God's will more than anything else. We also see it in what he does. You know, what does he do? He goes down into the waters along with sinners. Again, awkward moment for John the Baptist. He's been preaching that this guy's going to come and go up into the throne of judgment. And instead, Jesus comes and he goes down 
into the waters of baptism. What's going on here? Well, Jesus is demonstrating that this is what he's come to do. I love what Dale Bruner says, that this is the first miracle of Jesus because it's the miracle of his humility. That the God in flesh goes down with sinners into the waters of baptism. He's demonstrating that he's come to identify himself with us in our lot, in our trials, in our suffering. And he's also previewing what his mission is all about, to not just share our suffering, but to take on us, in, on him, his, our sin. He says later, I will be baptized with the baptism of judgment on the cross. He will go down into the waters of judgment in hell for his people. The first public act of ministry of Jesus is to go down into the waters with sinners. And the last public act of Jesus is to go up onto the cross to be killed with sinners. This is Jesus' mission. And he's declaring it before all. And then look what happens. It says that the heavens open up, the spirit of God descends, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son, the beloved. In him I am well pleased. This is amazing, y'all. This is a rare moment. We believe that God is a trinity, that he is Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons in a community of love. And this is one of those rare moments where you see all three members of the trinity acting all at once together. What's, what's going on? What's the important occasion? Well, this is the closest thing we have to an inauguration. You know, many people began elected office this week and were inaugurated at the Capitol. And if you've ever seen an inauguration of a president or a elected official or a mayor, you'll see a couple of things happen. There's fanfare, there's usually some sort of ceremony, um, and then there's a bestowal of some gift that represents the power and authority of that new office, whether it's a gavel or a robe or something. And then there is a declaration that this person is now fulfilling the appointed call. And this is what happens here. The heavens open. You know, the Trinity is in charge of the, this inauguration. Jesus doesn't need a, a man-made committee. The heavens open. The Spirit is given as the sign of his authority, and the declaration is made, this is my beloved. Listen to him. So if there's any doubt beforehand, it is clear now that Jesus, this one is the promised Messiah, the long-awaited servant, the beloved son, the one we've been waiting for. So that's the first emphasis of this passage is who Jesus is, and we're Trying, Matthew's trying to make clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the unique, unsurpassable, unmatchable, beloved son of father. Let me, we're, we gotta move on to part two, but let me just say this. Um, there may be some of you here who are here because you're just sort of exploring, you're checking things. Maybe it's, maybe church is a New Year's resolution for you, along with the gym and the whole 30 or, you know, something like that. Um, and, and, or, maybe, or maybe you're just sort of trying to explore spirituality, or maybe you had kids recently, and so you want to get into church and have them, you know, baptized or in Sunday school or whatever. I just want to say this, that if, if there is any hunger in your life for God, any longing that you have to know who God is and to connect with God, this is what I would urge you. Begin with Jesus. Begin with Jesus, because what God is saying right here, plain and simple, is you want to know me? You want to know anything about me? You want to know what I think? You want to know what I, how I speak? You want to know everything that I want to reveal about myself? Look at him, the beloved. He is the one in whom all the treasures of the Godhead are found. 
You want to connect with God? You want to know how to have a relationship with God? You want to be forgiven? Connect with this person, the beloved son. I urge you to do that. How do you do that? You can... You could start by reading the Bible. You could finish the book of Matthew, study it with a friend. Uh, you could learn how to pray. We could teach you how to pray. You could go to a parish group and get with some other people who are trying to know and follow Jesus. You could come up and talk to me about it afterwards. You could get prayer afterwards. But I just want to urge you that God is inviting you to know him by knowing the beloved. Know the beloved. He's the one. That's the first part, but, you know, we began this sermon by talking about our identity. So what does it mean for us to not just know the beloved, but be the beloved? How does knowing Jesus help us ultimately know who we are? Well, let me just make this, uh, communicate this pretty powerful biblical truth to you. That when we become connected to Jesus through our own baptism, what is true for Jesus becomes true for us. That when we are connected to Jesus through baptism, what is true for Jesus becomes true for us. Paul says it this way in Romans. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul is saying here that for those who believe and trust in Jesus and who are baptized as a sign of that repentance and faith, something happens. You are joined to Jesus Christ. See that phrase right there? Into Christ Jesus. That is one of Paul's favorite phrases. He never actually uses the word Christian. What he says is a Christian is someone who is in Christ Jesus, who has been baptized into Christ Jesus. What that means is now you are united to Jesus, and there is a mutual sharing of life. That's what's yours becomes his, and what's his becomes yours. The best analogy we have of this is human marriage. You know, let's say you get married and your spouse has an enormous inheritance. Well, guess what? What's theirs now becomes yours. Praise be to God, right? (laughs) But let's say you get married and your spouse has hundreds of thousands of dollars of college debt. Lord have mercy, right? What's theirs has become yours. So when there's a uniting of lives, there is a mutual exchange, a mutual sharing of life. And this is what God says happens when you trust in Jesus Christ and are united to him in baptism is that there is a sharing of life so that everything that is yours, all of your sin, rebellion, and brokenness is given to Jesus and he receives it in his own baptism on the cross, taking it down into the grave. And yet also what is his, all of his glory, inheritance, power, and love that is his by right as being the firstborn beloved son of the father, all of that given to you. Bum deal for Jesus. I know, but it's the gospel that what's yours is given to him and what's his is given to you now by grace. All that is Christ is now yours. What does that mean? Well, look what you're given here. We can just apply what was given to Jesus to be given to you. So look at verse 16. The first thing that happens is that heaven is opened. Well, what does that mean? It means, guess what? The heavens are open to you. God is no longer far off. He's not some unknown God. He's your father. And the heavens 
are open to you. You can always come. There is never a moment, no matter what you do, no matter how far you stray, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how terribly you screw up and transgress, there is never a moment that you do, the heavens are not open to you now in and through Jesus Christ. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water is the king's child. And this is now the access you have. The child can always come. The heavens are always open. You have access to him in and through your union with Jesus Christ. Now, at any time in any trial, the heavens are open. Second, though, you're given the gift of the Spirit. You know, the very next thing that happens after the Spirit is given to Jesus is that he is then sent out into the desert to be tempted and trialed by, by Satan. Now, that, let me just say this as an aside. <laughs> there is no better argument against the prosperity gospel, shall I say the, her- the heresy of the prosperity gospel, than this passage right here. There are heretical preachers who will tell you that to be truly blessed is to have a life of joy and endless happiness and health and wealth. And that if you are blessed, those will be the signs of your blessing. Well, I'll tell you what, friends, here is Jesus Christ, the most blessed person on the planet, the person who has just been inaugurated as literally the most important person in the universe. And what immediately happens to him? He is driven into an arid place to live without food and to be tormented by the devil. Jesus is not too blessed to be stressed. He is seriously stressed, right? After blessing comes desert. In fact, I'll even say this, the more you are committed to the Father, the more you desire to surrender your life to him, the more dry the desert will be, the harsher the temptations will be, the stronger the war will be. Why? Because Christianity, the life in Christ always involves suffering and anybody who tries to peddle a Christianity to you that does not involve that kind of pain is selling you a lie. Do you see how I feel about that? (laughs) What person said... God will never give you more than you can handle. I'm sure some sincere person, but what unbiblical nonsense. Friends, that's in third hesitation. Of course, you, you, of course you get what more than you can handle. You're human. God, God gives you way better. He gives you the spirit. He gives you the spirit who can empower you with everything that you cannot handle who empowers you, enables you, equips you, and mobilizes you, fills you with the Father's love, gives you all that you need to face the deserts that you are in right now. By your union with Jesus, you have the most precious gift of the very presence of God in your life. You are never alone. Heavens are open. The gift of the Spirit given, and then the last one is the best. And that is the truth that you have the word of the Father that was given to Jesus. You are the beloved. This is so, this is perhaps the most important word I could ever say to you. You know, let's go back to our little diagram here. The zigzag life, the Gumby life. The secret of getting off the zigzag life is realizing that the whole thing is a lie. It is a lie from the pit of hell. In the end, look, in the end, you cannot know who you are by what you do and what you have and what people think of you. In fact, your identity doesn't come from anything that you create or craft for yourself. Your identity does not come from what you achieve. Your identity comes from what you receive. 
It comes solely as a gift of grace. Identity comes from the voice of the Father who says to you, you, you are the beloved. That's what you are, the beloved. You know, if you read ahead to the next story, you'll see that Jesus is tempted by the devil in the very same ways that we are tempted. He's, he tempts him to do something great. Turn these bread into stone, turn these stones into bread. Do something great. He's tempted to have all the authority and power just by kneeling to the devil. He's tempted to make a great name for himself by throwing himself off the, off the temple so people will speak highly of him. And in every case, Jesus says, no, it is a lie. Why? Because he remembers the voice of the Father who says to him, you are the beloved. I know who I am. That is the voice that he carried inside of him throughout the desert. That is the voice that he carried throughout his ministry. That is the voice that he clung to when people praised him and when people cursed him, when people followed him and when people rejected him, when when people worshiped him and when people spit on him and nailed him to the cross. This is what carried Jesus above the line and through the line and beyond the line is the knowledge that he carried deep in his heart. I am the beloved of the Father. And I just want you to hear that this is the truth that God wants to speak over your life. To say that to you, that you are the beloved. You are the beloved daughter. You are the beloved son. Have you heard that? Not just here, but in your heart, in your soul, friends. Have you heard it deep? Have you heard the father say, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have written you on the palm of my hands and deep in my heart. I love you with an everlasting, never stopping love. Only that, friends, if you can hear that voice, only that will set you free. You will still have the ups and downs. That is not the promise. You you will have great sorrow, great pain, great losses, and great gains. And yet in all of it, you will now have a foundation to your own self that no circumstance, criticism, or suffering and sorrow can ever take away because you will know that what you are and who you are is the beloved. So friends, as we close, this is what I want to invite you into. I'm actually going to just walk down here for a second. I want you to consider, I want you to consider your baptism. And that might be kind of weird for some of you, but uh, just, just go with me here for a moment, okay? I want you to consider your baptism. My guess is that there's three different kinds of people. There could be three different kinds of people here today. First of all, there's someone, I know there's people here who have never been baptized, who have never confessed Jesus Christ and claimed a new identity in him as the beloved of the Father. And to you, this is your invitation. I'm just going to walk for a second. This feels a little awkward. But your invitation is to go. To go to be baptized. And it's not an invitation to some religious ritual. It's an invitation to life. It's an invitation to freedom. It's an invitation to finally be who you are, the beloved of the Father. That's your invitation, to go to be baptized. There's also many of you here today who have been baptized, but you were baptized long ago as a baby. It means nothing to you. It's just a little certificate, a blip, on the chronology of your timeline. Uh, Jesus is just a little piece of religious furniture in, in the house of your mind. To those of you who are in that position, I want to say, claim your baptism. Get off the treadmill 
Stop living the lies. Stop living as if you can define yourself by what you do and what you have and what people think of you. Don't you see how exhausting it is? Don't you see how it's killing you? Claim your baptism. Who you are is God's beloved in Christ. Bring Jesus central. Finally, there's those of you here um, who are seeking to live for Jesus and follow him. And to those of you, I would say, apply your baptism every day. Maybe with a bowl of water every day, wake up in the morning and remember who you are, that you are God's beloved in Christ. Why? Because every day you will forget. Every single day, you will snap right back into believing that who you are, what people say of you, what you do, what you accomplish, you are nothing more than your greatest failure. You are nothing more than your greatest success. It's a lie. And so to you, I ask you, apply your baptism. Remember every day who you are and who are you? God's beloved in Christ. Only then will you have a name that does not end at death, but endures through all eternity. Don't you want that name? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that Jesus was baptized, not for himself, but for us. And we thank you that his baptism, in his baptism, he went down into the waters of judgment and sin, that we might come out with him, with new life, to be given an open heaven and the spirit of God and to be given a new name as the beloved. Pray for each person here, whether they have never been baptized, whether baptism is meaningless to them, or whether they are someone who needs to claim it refreshed in a fresh way today. May all of us claim the great truth that who we are are the beloved in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.